Hey, Kate. Hey, Hannah. What do you have today? Well, let me tell you, it's something I concocted earlier this week or last week, and it's so good. So last week, I wanted a little decaf espresso pod with some milk. So I frothed up some milk, added my decaf espresso pod, but I was like, you know what? This is missing a little bit of extra creaminess. And I don't know how I got this idea, but I added a little bit of these functional mushrooms I have, um, just like non-psychoactive mushrooms, but just like a coffee alternative that I sometimes use. And so I added those and they made it so much creamier. And these mushrooms, Mm. yeah, it's so good. These mushrooms are a little bit mushroomy. They taste a little bit like dirt. So (laughs) adding just half a scoop is perfect. Doesn't taste too mushroomy. I still get the effects of the mushrooms that are really good for you. And my coffee drink is super creamy and delicious. Mm, That sounds so good. And when you combine it with a little bit of milk and a little bit of honey, it kind of cuts the the dirt taste a little bit you know I don't even like using that word dirt because I think it's it's a like a nuttiness maybe earthy a better word earthy yes Yes. Mm. (laughs) and favorite part I'm drinking it in my Christmas mug that mug is so cute yes you know we'll extend the Christmas season as long as we can (laughs) yes I might keep this mug around for most of the year but that's besides the point it's fine it's fine I support it thanks (laughs) what about you what do you got I am enjoying a less complicated drink, but just as delicious, a cup of Trader Joe's Winter Blend Tea. Uh, It's very cozy. Um, It's got a little mint to it, which is really nice, in addition to kind of just the black tea flavors, and then just a little splash of milk on top of that. And I'm enjoying it in one of my favorite ceramic squirrel mugs. Mm, That sounds so nice. Your squirrel mug is so cute. (laughs) I love it. This little guy on the front. He's so cute. (laughs) Yeah, he is. All right. Ready to get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Howdy Howdy from from Houston. Houston. I'm Kate. And I'm Hannah. And today we're talking about our favorite things that we learned from our most recent organ block, the musculoskeletal and integumentary systems, or simply put, MSK. So this block covered mostly pathology of the skeleton, joints, soft tissues, and skin. So it's a very broad and diverse subject, but very, very interesting. So Kate, why don't you kick us off? What was the most interesting thing that you learned from this block? Well, something that I found really interesting were were some things I found interesting were the different kinds of arthritis. So colloquially, we just talk about arthritis, this and that. Typically, People talk about it when they get a little bit older, but there's two different kinds of arthritis that you can get. One is associated with increased body habitus, so larger individual, that's called osteoarthritis. The other kind is an autoimmune disorder, and it is called rheumatoid arthritis. And it's very interesting because these two types of arthritis are opposites in many ways. For instance, osteoarthritis is typically in your big weight-bearing joints. So that's your knees or maybe your hips, those kinds of big joints. But rheumatoid arthritis is in small joints. So could be usually in your fingers, wrists, and rheumatoid arthritis is usually symmetric. So if you have it in one finger, 
chances are you're going to have it in the opposite finger too. So left and right versus in osteoarthritis, you probably would just have it in one knee. So I thought that was kind of interesting because osteoarthritis is in the weight bearing joints. The injury that's caused to the joint is more of a mechanical injury. So that's overuse, especially if you have like an increased body habitus, the joint is taking on more load and the joint is taking on more weight. And so over time, you kind of rub down the cartilage or you can cause cartilage degeneration in the joint and fragmentation. So the cartilage just kind of wears away. Versus rheumatoid arthritis is where inflammation is the primary cause. So you have cells in your immune system called T cells that target specific, quote, bad things that your body wants to get rid of. And since this is an autoimmune disease, your immune system is not working quite right. And so it thinks that the cartilage in your joints is something that needs to be attacked. So it attacks the cartilage in your joints. Hence, inflammation causes autoimmune disease with rheumatoid arthritis. Something else that I found interesting as like kind of a difference between these two is osteoarthritis has short morning stiffness. So typically it's under one hour and as one might guess, the pain improves when you rest and the pain is worse when you use it. Rheumatoid arthritis is the opposite, which I found really interesting how for this one, the morning stiffness lasts up to hours. It can be at least 30 minutes, but a lot of times it can last two hours of stiffness in the morning. But for this one, you can, quote, warm up your joints. So the pain improves some when you start using the joints and moving around and stretching, starting your day, things like that. So I thought that was really interesting because just a little testament to how movement can be really good for your body just with that and in general. In terms of lab testing, so if you're going to get a blood test for osteoarthritis, again, the mechanical injury one, you're not going to have any serum antibodies present. So when you test your blood or go in for labs, there's not going to be any antibodies or any inflammatory markers in your blood. The inflammation may be secondary to the original cause, which is just mechanical injury versus rheumatoid arthritis. Inflammation is causal, like I've mentioned. And so when you go in for blood tests or to get labs, you're going to have serum antibodies present in your blood. Specifically, you're going to have two inflammatory markers present called CRP and ESR. And these just mean that there's inflammation in your body. And then another thing that's going to be increased is called rheumatoid factor. Something else with rheumatoid arthritis is that there's multiple organ involvement. Since it's a general inflammatory disorder, typically they don't stay put in one location. If you have inflammation in your body, it's going to cause widespread effects. So this will have likely have multiple organ involvement. And something else is it's two times as common in women. So this is actually pretty common for autoimmune diseases is that they tend to be more common in women. 
which just means we as women got to take care of ourselves, reduce stress, go for a walk, touch grass. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to not, not just let yourself think that it's just in your head. You know, if you feel like something is wrong, like go talk to your doctor about it and don't let somebody make you feel like you're just being, you know, quote unquote crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree. So women take care of yourselves, take care of your body, love yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes that's easier said than done. But lastly, I want to go into treatments. They're very different for rheumatoid arthritis. As you might guess, since it's an autoimmune disease, you treat it with medication. So acutely, if you're having like really bad pain and you're going to the ER, they're going to give you NSAIDs which Hannah will talk about in a little bit, and or glucocorticoids, which are aka steroids. So that's for like the acute, really bad pain. Long term, you would probably be prescribed a drug called methotrexate, which typically resolves symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis for the most part. Beyond that, probably have an individualized treatment plan from your doctor. For osteoarthritis, The treatment is very different. It's very individualized and there's a stepwise approach. So first, your doctor will probably recommend trying exercise and weight loss, again, because the increased body habitus puts more weight on those joints, which worsens the mechanical injury. If that doesn't really work, then they will prescribe NSAIDs or suggest that you take NSAIDs. Again, Hannah's going to go into that later. Next you might get injections into the affected joint. So if you've ever heard of knee injections for knee pain, that's due to osteoarthritis. And there's a couple of different types of injections. You can get a steroid injection or they have an injection of like the joint fluid. So that's typically a personal decision based on you and your doctor and you guys discussing that. Lastly, you can get surgery. So this is typically when people might have a knee replacement or hip replacement is when the cartilage is so worn down, they've tried the injections, the injections aren't really working anymore. The last step is surgery. In this process, another thing you can consider for osteoarthritis is physical therapy, which I'm always a big proponent of trying things like that, like movement and connecting back to your body to improve symptoms. But Obviously, that doesn't always work, and that's why we have alternate approaches. Yeah, when it comes to the treatment of both rheumatoid and osteoarthritis, I'm constantly amazed as we're learning about these things how much the research of treatment progresses uh, just every year, really. Um, Learning about the surgery side when it comes to osteoarthritis, I, you know, at the very beginning of med school was really interested in orthopedics. You know, it's definitely still on the list, but, uh, but that's, you know, a big part of orthopedics is joint replacements and just the technology that we've both been able to learn about through, uh, the program that we're at with school, how much things have changed just in the past five, 10 years and how a joint replacement for a hip previously maybe would have lasted 15, 20 years now lasts 30, 35, 40 years even. Um, And just the more that we continue to learn about how to treat these diseases uh, as we also learn how these diseases come about. So really fascinating stuff. Also love that rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis are two things that affect so much 
of the population. It's, so it's a very applicable thing to learn when it comes to having conversations with our friends outside of med school or our family members. You know, This is stuff that they often can relate to or maybe they know somebody who has osteoarthritis or know someone with rheumatoid arthritis. So it's fun to be able to have those conversations and uh, bring more of this biochemical kind of perspective to those chats. Yeah, I definitely agree. I thought it was really interesting, especially to learn about rheumatoid arthritis, because I hadn't really learned about it before medical school, just heard whispers of it here and there through work and things like that. But I have a family friend who has rheumatoid arthritis, and I would always see her eating like really healthy and like trying new health foods. And now I can understand why she's trying to decrease her inflammation so that she has less symptoms. Yeah, exactly. And similarly, that's actually what prompted my topic that I was really interested in with NSAIDs, like you mentioned, uh, because these are things that we all know about. We all have heard about NSAIDs. We've all heard about those kinds of drugs. So it's cool to be able to learn about them and uh, just talk to your family, talk to your friends and have really neat conversations. Yeah, I would agree. So why don't you dive into it for us? Would love to, Kate. Thank you. So NSAIDs. Uh, to clarify what an NSAID is, it's N-S-A-I-D, that's what we're saying when we say NSAIDs, and that stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So kind of a long name, abbreviated to NSAIDs. So these drugs include things like ibuprofen, aka Advil, aspirin, uh, acetaminophen, aka Tylenol, and a ton of other drugs. Uh, the list is really, really long. And these drugs, you know, like we said, have been a part of our vocabulary and our day-to-day life for just so long. So I always really enjoy learning about those things that seem really applicable to general population, family, friends, uh, just like we've been saying. So NSAIDs, they have a number of general functions, but are primarily used to treat pain, inflammation, fever, and sometimes as an antithrombotic, which means to decrease blood clotting. But how do they actually treat these things? So to understand that, we have to understand these things called prostaglandins. So prostaglandins are lipid compounds, part of a larger class known as eicosanoids. So prostaglandins, they're produced by pretty much all your cells, and they're in pretty much all of your tissues, so they're all over the body, and they exert their effects very, very locally. So they go right next door to the cell um, and exert their effects right there. So that's why you can have those kinds of localized symptoms. They play a lot of roles, but some of the big ones, especially related to this block with MSK that we learned about were pain, which is going to be seen through increased sensitivity of nerves. You'll see muscle contra- muscle contraction pain. Um, you can see that through like menstrual cramps or labor contraction. You'll also see blood coagulation with prostaglandins. Um, immune responses to include regulation of inflammation and wound healing. You'll see temperature regulation, which is where fever comes into play. They also play a role in protecting the epithelium, which is just that top layer of cells in the GI tract, and that will be important later. But like most things in the body, there is a very complicated pathway of compounds and enzymes to ultimately produce these prostaglandins and cause all of those reactions like pain, blood coagulation, that immune response that we mentioned, fever, all of that. So one of the enzymes along this pathway is called cyclooxygenase, and that's abbreviated to COX, C-O-X. And this is where NSAIDs come into play. 
So the primary role of NSAIDs is to inhibit this enzyme, cyclooxygenase, and essentially blocking the production of prostaglandins. So that is why NSAIDs reduce things like pain, fever, and inflammation. So quick recap. Prostaglandins cause pain, blood coagulation, fever, immune responses, inflammation, things like that. Part of how prostaglandins are made requires this enzyme called COX. NSAIDs block that, therefore preventing pain, fever, inflammation, etc. That's the simple simple way to look at it. <laughs> so like with any drug, there are always going to be possible complications. And with NSAIDs, uh, there were a few interesting complications that I found to be just really fascinating as we were going through this course. One of them is called Ray's syndrome. So Ray's syndrome is actually something that we have learned about in a few of our organ blocks. So this was one, it was interesting to hear about Ray's from the perspective of the medications more so from the, than from the perspectives of other organs. So quick note on Ray's. Ray's syndrome is a rare but serious condition, and it's mostly in children. And it's associated with the use of aspirin, alongside a viral illness in kids. So the symptoms that you'll see with Ray syndrome are going to be severe vomiting, altered mental status, seizures, uh, fixed pupils, uh, enlarged liver, disrupted blood pH, a lot of things. And these are all really severe symptoms. Um, so the, the syndrome can progress and become a very serious condition. So you may have heard that it's not recommended to give children aspirin. And that's because aspirin, like I said, given during a viral illness in kids, can lead to this condition called race. So basically what happens is the virus will that the child has will alter the metabolism of aspirin, causing it to be broken down more slowly and causing a buildup of aspirin metabolites in the liver, which is where it's going to be broken down. So when you have all these metabolites building up in the liver from aspirin, it's going to disrupt a whole lot of systems. And that's going to lead to all of those symptoms that you see in race. So end of the day, that's why it's not recommended to give aspirin to children um, ever, but especially during uh, a viral illness because it's linked to race syndrome. Another complication from NSAIDs that many people have heard of is stomach ulcers. As mentioned, the role of NSAIDs is to block cyclooxygenase, COX, which prevents the production of prostaglandins, the source of pain, inflammation, fever, etc. While COX also increases mucus secretion in the stomach. This mucus helps protect the lining of your stomach from acids used in digestion. So if you block COX from producing this mucus when you take NSAIDs, those digestive acids could cause ulcers to develop. So for example, if you have, let's say, chronic knee pain from an old sports injury, I don't know, maybe playing soccer, <laughs> and you take NSAIDs regularly to help relieve that pain, you have to be really cognizant of possibly developing stomach ulcers from that reduced production of mucus because COX is being blocked. So overall, I just found learning the pharmacology side of MSK to be really fascinating. The more that we learn about the systems of the body, the more I enjoy learning the pharmacology side. At first, I thought pharmacology was just a ton of rote memorization, but it really does help you to learn the, the basic systems of the body because it's how do we actually make these problems and pathology and complications, how do we make them better for patients? Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. At first, I was like, 
slugging through the pharmacology. I was like, we are not pharmacologists. Why do we have to learn this? (laughs) But yeah, now that I know some of the mechanisms, I think it's way more interesting and I'm actually excited to learn about this. I think this is actually the unit we're in right now, which is endorepo or endocrine and reproductive systems. It's the first time I'm actually kind of looking forward to reading through all of our material about the pharmacology or the drugs. So yeah, I specifically think about when I go to the doctor and have questions about medications, medications relating to things that we're learning right now with endocrine and reproductive health, health and things like that. I know that I always would have a lot of questions about things like oral contraceptive medication. Like how would that affect a woman's body? Like what is that actually doing inside of a woman's body? And being able to answer those questions and break those kinds of things down, you know, beyond oral contraceptive, but also when it comes to NSAIDs and being able to explain that to a patient, I think can provide a lot of comfort and uh, just feeling safe as a patient talking to your doctor about that kind of stuff and knowing that what you're putting in your body isn't just some magic pill, but it's actually doing something that you can understand as a patient. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think with that, it builds a lot of trust between like the doctor-patient relationship because I've been to the doctor before where I was curious about a medication that I was thinking about using and the doctor was like, oh yeah, here's your option A or B. And I was like, wait, but can you like go into the differences a little bit? She was like, um, yeah, just this one drug is like slightly different, slightly different concentrations in all three. And I was like, okay. And I just sat there and I was like quiet for a little bit, like hoping she would say a little more and she didn't. And so I think that is a definitely a learning moment for me. And when I'm a doctor, I would really love to explain it more to people should they ask for it. Because this doctor knew I was, at least I think at the time I was a pre-med student, she knew I was studying for the MCAT and really interested in all this. And she just sat there and let me decide based on very minimal knowledge. And that's not really what I wanted out of my personal doctor-patient relationship. So all that said, it's cool to learn about and it's going to be one day really cool to explain to patients as well, patients who are interested. I definitely agree. And Like you said, I do think it's a huge learning moment for us as students before we actually become doctors. You know, we shouldn't assume that our future patients don't want to learn that information or we shouldn't assume that they aren't capable of understanding that information. Just because we learned it in med school doesn't mean that it's difficult information to understand if you didn't go to med school. You know, our patients are intelligent, smart people, you know, and we shouldn't assume that they just, oh, well, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't understand. It's like, no, let's break it down for your patients so that they can understand what they are putting into their body. It's really important, I think, for them to have true autonomy as a patient to really understand what kinds of treatment plans you are proposing and not just say, well, I'm the doctor, I know best, you know, really let your patient understand all of the components of treatment. Right. Or maybe I'm the doctor and I don't have time because I have 30 patients to see today and I have 15 minutes for you and I want to give you my 15 minutes, but like we're approaching 16 minutes and I got to go. But 
in the long run, you might save more time by simply taking the extra 30 seconds or minute and a half to explain to the patient what medication that they are putting in their body because maybe in the future that means they'll call your office less or have fewer questions on the little MyChart Messenger app and that saves you time in the long run much more so than sitting there waiting for them to make a decision and then just calling it a day. So yeah, future podcast episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Things wrong with the healthcare system. Uh, <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. That, in that would be a podcast <laughs> itself. Yeah, but we're learning, and we're learning how we want to be. Yeah, we're learning how to be the change that we want to see in healthcare. Yes, which is really exciting. Exactly. Well, that's all we have for you today. We really enjoyed putting this episode together for you guys going back to what we learned in MSK and picking out some really cool stuff to share. If you want to email us, you totally can. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at howdyfromhoustonpodcast at gmail.com and we will see you on the next episode. See ya.